Welcome to the CLIL for Teachers and Teams podcast. My name is Patrick de Boer, and I'm a CLIL teacher trainer from the Netherlands. In this podcast, I share practical tips and tricks to help you with CLIL in your lessons. Have fun listening. Welcome to this episode of the CLIL for Teachers and Teams podcast. Um, in this episode, we've got Lola, who is a professor from Spain, and I'm going to immediately stop there and let her introduce <laughs> herself before I make any mistakes in in, in saying things that are um, maybe not true, not because we don't know each other, we've been working together for some time, but because um, during the introduction, I already realized there were some things I didn't know about her, so I'd rather have her introduce herself. So here we go. Okay, thank you, Patrick. Uh, well, as you said, my name is Lola, Lola Lopez Navas, and I'm from Spain, and I work um, at Valencian International University. I'm the director of the MA in bilingual education there. Um, and I've been there for the last uh, four years. Uh, previously, I'm well, I'm trained as an English teacher. I got my PhD in applied linguistics uh, in English. And uh, I also have an MA in applied linguistics by the University of Sheffield and an MA in language testing by the University of Lancaster. So all my life has been, uh, I've been working with languages and uh, I have had an interest in, in languages. And teacher training as well has been the focus of the last uh, few years in my career since I started working um, at university level. So so that's me, I think. <laughs> yeah, a lot of background in England then. Yes, yes. I did work in the UK for 10 years. Uh, I started off as a language assistant, as many, many English teachers do. Uh, I was teaching Spanish uh, and also English for for. Uh, foreign students in at a college in the north of England. So that was a very enriching experience. And that's where I started to get <clears throat> interested in CLIL and, and find out more about CLIL in, in that environment, because um, the curriculum there is slightly different from, from the curriculum in Spain. And that uh, gave me the opportunity to, to teach languages in a different way. Right. And then you ran into CLIL and you returned to Spain and became a director of the masters. Uh, yes, more or less. Well, before that, I was teaching. Um, well, my university—I forgot to say—the um, university where I work now is fully online. But before that, I was working face to face, teaching, uh, training primary school teachers. Right, uh, right, as right. Well. So, and part of it was uh, clear tra teacher training, uh, but part of it was just general English as well. Yeah, we'll go into the discussion later on about the difference between those two. Um, <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, so you teach, you, you're the director of a master's for mm. bilingual teachers, right? So you yeah. train teachers who want to specialize in bilingual education. Yes, in uh, mostly from Spain or mostly in, in a Spanish context, but we have students all over the world. So uh, we do try to have a broad focus um, in, in our subjects. But basically what we do re in relation to pedagogical aspects is clear. Yeah, the, yeah, the basic foundations of of CLIL and the characteristics of different elements of CLIL. Yeah, and because um, I know that that you know Spain is not one country, one government, one um, education policy. I believe you said there were eighteen different ones, seventeen degrees. Uh, yeah. Yes, well, it's it's complicated in terms of the education policy because we have there is a central government, but Spain is divided into seventeen autonomous regions. So each of those regions, we could say, has their own uh, educational policy and their own way and their own characteristics. That we have um, some bilingual regions and some monolingual regions, and also there's a policy from the central government. So effectively, we could say that there are 18 different models of bilingual education in Spain. So you can imagine that complicates things just a little bit. Um, just a little bit, yes. yes. And just a little bit. Um, but does that mean that you, no, let me rephrase that. Doesn't that mean that you run into a lot of challenges then? Because you might, you know, at some point say, well, now that I've trained my teachers to be able to teach CLIL and um, bilingually, and then they run into challenges that are specific for that area, because some students there might have a totally different background or totally different requirements than in another one. Is that something that your students run into then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what we 
we find out all the time. Well, our students do some placements as part of the masses. It's compulsory to to do placements in in schools, and they come back to us and in there they have to write a report. And it's it's really interesting the situations they encounter and how the different programs, even within the same region, there are some regions that have different programs for bilingual education. Some of them that are through the British Council, there's an agreement between the Ministry of Education and the British uh, Council in some regions. Then, but in parallel uh, to those programs or that program, there are the regional programs. <laughs> so even within a region, you can find different different alternatives. And some schools where uh, bilingual education is for everybody. Some schools where there's only a particular set of students who are allowed entrance into the program. So obviously you, the profile of student you are going to find is very different. Um, and also depending if it's a bilingual region, maybe they only have, or they have a smaller percentage of, of uh, subjects taught through CLIL yeah. because they have to deal with their own language as well the regional language and right. spanish so there are there are lots of different settings but it's it's really interesting and it's challenging it's challenging but it's it's interesting because we we try to cater for for the needs of all the students and but also they give us so much because they have to talk to us about the legislation in each of the regions or in the, in their countries if we're talking about students for example in ecuador colombia or the united states with the dual language programs um they tell us about how things work there and it's um it's very interesting to see and very enriching for both <laughs> both sides yeah um, yeah now I, I know the policy is in the netherlands hmm. and i know that there is um discussions every now and then about the effectiveness or the usefulness of clil and so far we're on the winning side let's just <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. but, yeah. but um we don't really run into a lot of challenges there because there's one organizing party there's one policy there's one well mainstream idea with 18 different ones, um, both monolingual and bilingual regions, I can assume that I, I assume that there's a lot more discussion going on. And yeah. I, yeah, does that mean you have to defend clear a lot, or if I maybe I don't phrase it correctly, but you know what I mean, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it seems to be almost it goes in cycles because every every so often, maybe a couple of times a year, um, there's something comes up on the news. Um, some articles, some big headlines, usually <laughs> negative about bilingual education, some criticism. Uh, it's personally, I think it's a lot to do with politics, but um, it shouldn't be because this is about education and good quality education. But every so often we find these and then loads of different voices start talking about uh, what's going on and is is it working is it not working a lot of the criticism that the bilingual programs uh, face are to do with um the perception i think it's a perception that students learn less through clil or they yeah they they're learning less content uh, so to speak if if they learning through a second language or a foreign language and and that is in detriment of their education although um, obviously, there are voices who try to defend from the academic world, from the teaching world. Um, there's also um, an association for bilingual education, uh, which is independent, and they try to publish every year. They have a survey with with teachers. Um, and there is research that says that is not true. Like when there are external evaluations, students in bilingual programs do as well, if not better, in, in some areas than students who are not in bilingual programs. So but so there is certain proof of, of this, but but it is <clears throat> excuse me, it's it's um frustrating to see that there is this sort of tide <laughs> that tries to or this this I don't know how what to call it, but there is a trend to to be critical with bilingual education, and I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not saying it's been done properly or thoroughly all the time from the beginning, but it's better to 
to try and improve it rather than to to say, oh, let's get rid of it. Yeah, that is not the solution. Research backs up the ideas. Then it's a bit of a shame that you constantly have to to say that again. Mm. Um, I can understand the concerns because at first, if you think, well, I've if I learn something new, I need to learn it in a language that I don't know. It's harder to learn. Mm. That makes sense, but there's way more to it. Um, and and eventually, and I can even imagine that you might at the start. Now, that's my personal experience when I was still mm. teaching. That at the start you might need to slow down a little bit, but they will catch up. I the, the problem with this discussion, in my opinion, is that it's always a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Mm -hmm. Because if you offer bilingual education and students, I'm not sure if it's an obligation or not. Um, but in the Netherlands, it's always a choice. Okay. Um, the students who choose bilingual education are probably already somewhat more motivated than the ones who do not choose bilingual education. So chances are that they would have scored higher grades in regular education okay. anyway. Um, you know, so that so it's a bit chicken and egg, you know, are they doing better because they're better anyway? Or are they doing better because and I'm I don't I don't really care for the conclusion. The conclusion is clear education is not in no way lowering their their results. Mm. Um but if it's just clear doing it that's hard to say because you can't have one student go through both types of education and compare that one student because that you know students are already different. Is yeah. That, how is that organized in in Spain? Is it like like in Italy? There's a law that says every student needs to go through a certain bit of clear education. Is that the case in Spain as well, or is it always a choice? Here, it's as I said before, it varies between regions. Oh, so in some that. regions it will be in in pub, in the public system because we have pub, public systems, semi -pri semi private, and private schools. Oh, so to make it even simpler. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes it's <laughs> we like things <laughs> a bit complicated. <laughs> um, but in the public system, it depends on the region as well. There, there is, uh, and it depends on the program, bilingual program program within the region. So there's so many layers. Uh, but ideally, I think we all agree um, that it should be universal. It should be available to all right, right. students because another criticism that has um, been thrown at bilingual education is the elitism of it yeah yeah and that it segregates students and um that's the opposite i think of the spirit of bilingual education or the spirit of clearly that you we want everybody to have the opportunity at whichever level or whichever their, their ability uh, to have the opportunity to learn a different language or to learn through a different language. Yeah. Um, and I think nobody can disagree with that. No. Um, the it's way podcast, it's done. So there's no video, but I was nodding a lot when you said that. <laughs> okay. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, a challenge. It's a challenge. And maybe one of the, I think uh, it was David Marshall who said this uh, at a conference, um, that maybe the, the issue here is that in Spain, uh, we embraced CLIL um, sort of 20 years ago when the bilingual program started uh, here with a lot of um, enthusiasm. I was like, oh, let's do this. But instead of starting little by little, we went for it <laughs> uh, with everything. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's do this. Like, let's let's do everything, you know, let's do the subjects from the beginning. And maybe it would have been better to do even like parts of subjects rather than a full subject in English and then build up the teacher yeah. training, build up the family, the confidence, you know, the from the family, from the teachers, build up the system. Like we started something without really having the resources for it or having very few resources for it. And then some of the issues that we are seeing now and some of the perceptions from the different stakeholders that we are seeing now are a consequence of that. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was saying before. I'm not saying that the system is perfect by any means, but what we need to do is look at what isn't working so well and and, and improve it and and really 
believe that this is the way forward, but how can we make it better rather than take it away? Because if we take it away, I mean, we live in a globalized world. Our students are going to need to need foreign languages. The only, I'm sure a lot of kids watch a TV series in English. They listen to music in English, English or is around. I'm talking about English because English is the main language that they, they learn here, but we need to give them chances uh, in life and, and even within Spain for like to apply for public system jobs, they need to have a qualification in a foreign language most of the time is English. So so what are we doing if, if we're lessening their chances? Yeah. And by taking away the, the, the potential of bilingual programs. And there are, have been studies about how bilingualism influences your brain as well. Um, there was a report published not that long ago on the bilingual brain, um, also by David Marsh um, and other authors. And it's it's very interesting to read about the potential for your brain in terms of the way you th you think, how it changes the, your ability to see the world or to face, oh, you're a mathematician, so how, how you face a problem, maybe, uh, if, just by having this ability um, to think in different languages, because there are so many resources uh, in, in your head, let's say. Um, so even just, even if it's simply because of that, um, it's a positive outcome of bilingual education. And yeah, there used to be the idea that if you learn a language, it's kind of, um, if you learn multiple languages, they are stacked next to each other and taking up space, you know, in your brain. Whereas nowadays we know, well, they are linked. And if you mm -hmm. learn one language, it might support learning another language, etc. And there's exactly. actually been brain scans of, you know, bilingual and non-bilingual people. And they show a difference, which I think is quite creepy. Um, but it... <laughs> It shows physical evidence of, 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 of I believe, and uh, if someone corrects me there, it, it's possible, but I believe, if I remember correctly, that it also has to do with the connection between the two halves of the brain that are better connected. Mm. Um, so you are, not task switching is a bad thing anyway, but you are a bit better at that um, uh, when as a bilingual person. And because you're cross-languaging, you're trans-languaging um, um, and, um, and switching languages a lot, without realizing it. I I used to be a student of bilingual education myself, so I went through all of that. And my brother is a teacher of English. So uh, we would, at the dinner table, have conversations in English-Dutch, English-Dutch, and my mother, mother would go, can you now please stop doing that? We were not even aware because we yeah. were just constantly doing that. Um, and that's, I think, one of the perks of being bilingual. It's the same as, as someone asking me, because, oh, you're good at English. What's this in English? I'm like, at loss for words because I don't translate, right? Mm. You're not translating. If you're bilingual, you don't translate every single word. You just think in a different language. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a big um, 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 advantage of CLIL when compared to regular language education, where it's often mm. more focused on, well, translating or being, I'm not saying that you're only translating, of course, but being able to think in a different language requires more than two or three hours language learning a week, then you need to go a bit beyond that. And that's, I think, what clear education does really well. I also Definitely. recognize what you said about, um, you know, when you start with CLIL, you might run into challenges. I, I remember when I was a student, CLIL was just starting, bilingual education was just starting in the Netherlands. So we would have a history book from England because there was no Dutch book in English. So we, I would learn everything about the British history and very little about the Dutch history because there was no Dutch book in English. Okay. Um, they corrected that at some point, but that, that's what you run into if you start something new, right? Like you said, you have limited resources mm -hmm. and you have to well, deal with the things you do have. And nowadays that's been, there's now good books and good resources, but that's something that my teachers back then had to face. Um, so I can imagine that's things that you ran into back then as well. Yeah, even um, even nowadays. In fact, I'm I'm happy you mentioned about the history, <laughs> the history example because one of the recent uh, headlines has been that um, one of the regions in Spain they have decided to uh, they used to teach history and geography through CLIL, and they've decided to get rid of that. So now history and geography is go going to be taught in Spanish. 
again. And uh, one of the arguments was sort of there were there had been complaints about if, uh, from families saying, you know, why are they learning about Spanish history in English, for example, or why do they have to learn the names of Spanish historical figures in English? Like it didn't make sense to them, for example. So, so because it doesn't make sense to parents. Well, parents have got a big influence. Thing, I, I think it, it, it can't have been only parents, but you know what I mean. Like there are some aspects, but maybe the the issue there, because you were saying you were learning British history, you were learning yeah. about um, it's slightly different. But it's like maybe it makes sense to do if if history as a, as a subject is not just history of Spain. Maybe it makes sense in that context to do the history of Spain in Spanish and then do other bits of the history subject in English just to combine um, the two rather than say, oh, no, no, we, we stop in this. Because history, I think the, the way the thinking process in history is so interesting and so it could be such a good way of teaching uh, through another uh, foreign language that it's a shame that it's completely eradicated. You know, it's like, no, no, we're not just not doing that oh. um, because there's connections uh, with the timelines and cause and consequence yeah all the research they can there's so much they can read in different languages and then use in i don't know it, it's just but this is one of the and and again it's been it comes from politics like oh yeah it was in our you know we promised this to the citizens yeah, and yeah, yeah. so there there is again certain controversy with with that and maybe History also more than just numbers and names right it's it's more it's, of course. it's about the skill set um, exactly. It's about yeah. your cognitive discourse functions. It's about thinking like a historian. But that's a, the educational approach, I guess. And there's a political world that, that acts differently. We just have elections in the Netherlands, so let's not go talk about no, no. too much. <laughs> let's leave politics <laughs> out, out of this. But but it just needs to be said that sometimes it, it doesn't come from the educational no, sphere. No, it comes from other... external sources that we can't control, but we can argue that. Yeah. Um, there is research about it or it yeah. always... well, talking about one of those controversies or, or challenges maybe um, when it comes to the role of English in CLIL, so the role of the English language teacher in mm. a CLIL setting um, we, 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 during the introduction we briefly talked about this already because you got, and I know you don't really like this distinction but I'm going to do it anyway for <laughs> just for the introduction um, you've got subject teachers and language te English language teachers and yes English language teachers teach subject as well You've also not non. Let me rephrase it then to non-language teachers and the English language teacher. And in a clear setting, there is certain. Um, well, you would argue that you could argue that they need to collaborate at some point, also to make sure that they learn things in English language lesson that they can use during a non-language lesson. But where does that end, right? What 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 is what in the end is still the role of the English language teacher? Does it come down? There's also English language teachers who say, well, I barely ever teach grammar because it's not about teaching rules. It's about using them. And then at some point they realize how it works. And that's a way better way to explain it than just, you know, constantly repeating all the rules. Hmm. What's your take on that? And I know you run into this, so that's why I ask you about that. Yeah, this is an aspect that um, I'm interested, very interested in, because I am an English teacher. Uh, that's my original <laughs> uh, role. And and now that I, I teach, I train, sorry, uh, clearly teachers, uh, I can see both sides of, of the story, let's say. Um, but there's there's been talk about what I don't like is the, is the distinction uh, when when people say content teachers and right. language teachers or English teachers because it it gives the impression that languages don't have any content when in actual fact probably languages have all the content. Um, if we could say that we could make that that claim um, that through, because language is everywhere and maybe also this is a matter of uh, identity in terms of like for every teacher because um, I don't know if it happens in in your context but um, at the beginning particularly like clear teachers or or teachers of subjects like history or maths or physical education they don't feel they are language teachers, but everything is taught through language. So uh, how can you teach without language? language? 
Yeah. It's impossible. No, that is this sentence. I don't know who said it originally, but but it's it's about that. It's like content. There's no content without language, and there's no language without content. Okay, this this is it's clear, but um so it maybe it's it's about also convincing people that everybody somehow is a language teacher because when you are teaching history like we were giving the example before you are teaching how processes happen or how some um, events have consequences so those are expressed through language you guys get with maths it's, it's a different language but there are also processes which you have to explain a mathematical operation right. I guess I'm completely I, I don't know anything about maths but <laughs> I'm trying to to make sense of, of this but argument I also, but I also focus on language and I've shared this example before whenever a student would say tree I would start drawing a tree instead of the, the, the number three mm. and giving them feedback on language that way yeah of different ways if we talk about a quadrilateral i make them all say it out loud um you know to to practice that language aspect it's an interesting um, 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 um statement you make every every teacher is a language teacher i actually post that during training sessions a lot and we go into it a lot of discussion i think key there is just how you define language teacher do you mm. define language teacher as someone who has like you um has a master's degree in language or is it mm. someone who helps students work with language within the content that they are currently working in. You know, if you define a language teacher as the first thing, then I don't think it's true. Then then, yeah. then not everyone is language. But if you define it as someone who helps students with language within that content or within that subject, then everyone is a language teacher. Mm. The question then is, does everyone feel comfortable doing that and, and feel um, um, I'm capable of doing that? And that's, yeah. I think, an, an issue run into then. If teachers even if they are aware of, okay, there's a relevance to the language use in my lessons, they might not be aware what to focus on, what, how to deal with that, how to provide feedback. So that's, I think, where CLIL training comes in for, for non-language teachers, for, for content teachers. Um, exactly. um, because they need to learn about how the use of language um, within their subject and not so much to become an English language expert, but to know, okay, what do I need to focus on and how can I help students go beyond that does that make exactly. sense yeah yeah to totally i was nodding as well i know <laughs> <laughs> nobody can see this but uh, i was nodding a lot because that's that's exactly what what i think and um another aspect of english teachers uh, which uh, you sort of started mentioning before is about what is the role of english teachers within yeah. this because with with them um, introduction of uh, CLIL in, in educational systems, I think the focus has been almost 95% on the the teachers, the sub, let's call them subject teachers, yeah, the yeah. subject teachers, um, because they needed the most support and all the training, teacher training. In, in fact, in some regions, like in, in my region, in the I'm from Valencia, so in the uh, Valencian region, there was a time where we had a specific CLIL training course um, because they, the local government considered that, that that was needed and it was a good idea. So they, they needed this specialization, but English teachers were not allowed to take this course. Uh, or they were not allowed to get um, this certificate for this course because they were assumed to have all this knowledge, but they don't necessarily have this knowledge. Uh, of the pedagogical background no. to 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 do it, and if and then they're expected like there's a lot of emphasis on collaboration between the the English teachers or language teachers and then the different subject teachers. But how can they collaborate if they don't understand each other? Uh, so the basics should be common, <laughs> and then from then they can collaborate, and also it allows real collaboration um, being equal because sometimes what has happened or what has been criticized is that um, English teachers uh, end up being sort of dependent on what the other teachers need and okay I'm doing this so you need to teach uh, I don't know the conditionals or whatever like because they are seen as just like grammar and vocabulary teachers and it's it couldn't be farther from the truth uh, from the truth so it's it's difficult to 
how do we do this collaboration uh, so there's real integration and I think for example things like project-based work uh, and uh, transversal projects that are called in in schools are a good way of doing that because then the teachers are working together and of course the English teacher is going to provide more support from the linguistic side because they are experts in the language so they can understand maybe why a student is making a particular mistake at a particular age because they understand second language acquisition theories etc which a non-linguist doesn't know about no. um, but that's that's the expertise also they can bring into the the collaboration mm -hmm. rather than just oh yeah no I'm doing this in my chemistry class so can you please do this no it's not about doing what the other person asks you to do it's about how can we work together plan together look at the whole curriculum of your region, of your educational stage, and decide what can be done in the different uh, in the different areas, including the English class, yeah. to to improve the level of the students, to improve their ability to think in a different language. So, um, there were like five questions popping up <laughs> while you said that. Um, okay. Um, first of all, you said. You, I think you mentioned before the word remedial teacher, you know, the teacher ah, yeah. of English almost becomes a remedial teacher, you know, making sure they're, they're, they're um, 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 filling the gaps and to make sure that, and you don't, you know, that's not what you became a teacher for. On the other hand, what I think can be done, and I'm not, not no way saying this is the way to go, but what could be done is that the English language teacher looks at the content of a subject at that specific time and tries to integrate that in the, in the, in the English lesson. An example I've, I think I've shared before as well, is that during a lesson observation some time ago, I was observing an English language teacher, and the teacher was explaining the past tense mm. using a story of The Simpsons, which was hilarious, but he could also have taken the history book of the students and explained the past tense with the history context, and it showed them, well, the text you've been reading over the last couple of months all included this, and there it is, you know, mm. um, and then maybe use history text and and, you know, analyze that making it a lot more, giving the students a lot more reason to understand why they're learning about the past tense because they need it at, at another context in another context and it makes a lot more sense that way um mm. and you've got a lot of valuable content you can use because the, of the other subjects that are teaching in english anyway so i think content wise there's a lot of things that an english language can language teacher can do but it requires a bit of flexibility and i don't know how that's organized in one of the 600 different uh, autonomous countries in, in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, in the Netherlands, we have course books and curriculi and, um, well, some teachers feel it's rather fixed. So it's a bit hard to, mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned projects. During a project, you can go mm -hmm. in any direction you want, but at, at, at some point in time, you need to go back and follow the book, which is not the case, but some teachers feel like that that is what expected of them because if you don't do that, then you have to come up with things yourself and that takes mm. more time. I don't know if that's how that's organized in Spain, but you know, it requires quite a bit of flexibility there from an English language teacher to do this and divert from the course book or what's expected of them and eventually get to the same goals. Does that make I feel like I'm talking too much. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, no, it does make sense. And and in a way it's it it matches what what I was saying in what I was saying before is maybe it's a matter of looking at let's say you're doing, I don't know, first year of secondary education and then looking at the whole curriculum for it and see like there are different subjects, but in these different subjects, this is what the curriculum says. And then how can we match that yeah. within the CLIL setting okay, or within the bilingual program? And how how can then the, these past tense can be integrated in different subjects, including language? And uh, I think more and more teachers want to get away from using just one book because they realize that that is not enough. You need to adapt. If you want to adapt your lessons to a particular group, which we should be doing, then you can't just rely on one source. You need to look for, and they have more training and they are 
more confident in, in their abilities so they, they want to do that but the, the issue is always time okay? if you are yeah. teaching so many hours a week then you have to mark you have to prepare your lessons it's very difficult to do that and you are not given the time and I do have some data there for you because mm -hmm. um, there was a report every year there's a survey of uh, teachers in bilingual programs and uh, one of the answers they gave regarding um, people who were coordinators of bilingual programs in both uh, primary and secondary schools, um, they would say over 50% of teachers who coordinate bilingual programs, they don't have any remission to do this for the coordinator's role. So they have to do that on top of their normal duties. Uh, and they have to meet with other teachers who are part of the bilingual program in their own time, let's let's say, you know, during the break or after school, because their own school or their own educational authority doesn't give them the time to do that, although they are in charge, you know, they have the position of coordinator, but there is no time to, to coordinate within your normal hours. So this is not about teachers, this is about coordinators. Yeah, but these coordinators are teachers of the school. So uh, in in every school, if there's a bilingual department, or yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 so there's one teacher in charge. Sometimes it's an English teacher. Sometimes it's, it's well, a I different used, I used teacher. to be one. I used to be yeah. Uh, yeah, but, a coordinator. But, yeah. but 50% or over 50% of those coordinators of bilingual programs in schools don't have any remission to do their job. And also, uh, I think over 50% of them as well, uh, don't have any financial um, reward either for, for doing this. So they are doing it because they believe in it and they want to do it. But of course, there's going to be some uh, shortcomings <laughs> because they they are doing it in their own time and and with and their own resources the, in a way. The practical issues that you simply don't have time for things. Yeah, but so it's, it's difficult. That, wow. It's difficult to 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 think like what we are proposing. We are saying, oh yeah, let's all sit down together and have this meeting and evaluate what we can do and how we put, how we can organize the, the lessons and the terms so everything makes sense. It's really hard to do, particularly because in the curriculum, each subject is defined individually. So obviously there's also things you have to to cover. And um, another issue, I think, from, from the point of view of teaching English is that the curriculum still relies a lot on a grammatical progress rather than, for example, discourse functions. What do our students at this age need to do with the language? Yeah. Um, so we still have teachers um, in secondary talking about, oh, my students aren't able to distinguish between the present perfect and the past simple. Um, but that's a really, really grammatical point of view. Uh, I mean, we should take the clear approach uh, and and look at what you need to say, like what do you need to do with the language in real life? And that's the beauty of CLIL, that you are, don't have to pretend to to do something. You are actually doing it, doing it in class. And, uh, and that's something that CLIL can really give <laughs> to yeah. language teaching. And, uh, and it's definitely happening. And I, I'm just sort of giving a very extreme example, but, um, it's they definitely happening, yeah. yeah, yeah. But just so it's so it's clear. But you still hear this. You still hear about um, this and this grammatic. And if you open an English book, a lot of the time the grammar and vocabulary column <laughs> comes first. This is the content that leads what's happened, what's happening in the unit. It's because you are practicing that the distinction between present perfect and past simple, and, and this is all the activities and the reading in, in this particular unit are, that's the goal of, of those rather than thinking about, I don't know, describing a holiday or something that you have done. And through that, then the grammar happens or it, it just comes up like in a clear context. Yeah. A I'm grammar what, patterns what, what, and vocabulary yeah. will come up naturally yeah. from Fair the enough. from yeah. what you're teaching. Yeah, because that's the, the content of the language at that point is not particularly the grammar. Hmm. It's more about the implementation of the grammar within a specific uh, context. Exactly. And then see um, what's happening there. 
Yeah, and communication is the ultimate focus. Yeah. Like if we look at the Common European Framework, uh, the famous uh, um, document that has become like the the document to follow, and the Spanish curriculum follows the CFR principles. Um, in the in the curriculum, it's easy to see. Um, you can see like the the uh, the main idea now is about being able to communicate. The students or learners are social agents. That have to communicate in real context so um, that is also clear <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i'm a bit reluctant with constantly linking to the cfr simply okay. because i don't I, I i do think it's very valuable but the way it's sometimes used or it used to be used in the netherlands was more of a checklist yeah um and I don't think that that's what it was aimed to be it was more aimed as a bit of a guideline as okay so this is you know general principles that you can look into this might be good direction to go into and of course if you succeed at multiple of them then you can say well i might be more of that level but it was not meant to be a checklist okay now i need to score all of these in order to be able to succeed i don't at least i don't think that's what how it was meant no um, not at all no and that's but it is how it is now sometimes being implemented yeah it somehow became because of the levels it became yeah. that uh, at least to the external world um it became all about am i are you an a1 or a b1 yeah. or a c1 yeah. it's it became a little bit about that but it isn't an it, with the publication of the companion volume in in 2020 some of the issues that hadn't been developed fully in the original version have been improved or, or explained better, I guess. Um, and, and there are some interesting aspects that really have a lot of relationship to, to bilingual education and CLIL, for example, mediation. Um, in, in a CLIL setting, you are mediating all the time. In reality, you're reading from different sources, making sense. This allow would allow teachers as well uh, to, to let students read in their own language and then transfer that knowledge through English. And it, you, they can prepare a presentation by reading it from different sources. They can read if their uh, native language is French uh, or Spanish or whichever language it is, they can make use of those languages like we were saying before they're not separate compartments in no. your brain everything's together and and it's such a great ability to be able to decide you know what what's the right word to use here because i want to communicate something so mediation it, it's such a great opportunity for to understand that um, mode of communication as as it is in the CFR, it's fantastic. Like we do it all the time in CLIL, even if you don't know it's mediation. It, it sort of gave a name to to something that that was already happening at, at many levels. But it it has many uses, and also another aspect I like to highlight about that, and it's to do with the controversies of CLIL, is the idea of the native speaker. Mm. because um, it gets read, uh, the companion volume gets rid of this native speaker um, idea, because after all, like, what is a native speaker? <laughs> Who is a native speaker um, in of any language? There are many different types of, of natives, native speaker. So I think that's, that's also something very positive, and it will have a positive impact on bilingual programs, uh, because one of the criticisms of the programs is that, oh, are the teachers at the right level? Uh, why do we need more native teachers to teach in bilingual programs? Should we only allow native teachers? But so that could help uh, or an, a different understanding of, of what speaking a language or being able to communicate through a foreign language is can help a lot as well um, with the image of of the or the perception perception of bilingual programs. Yeah, yeah, I I feel like right at the start of bilingual education, um, and native speakers were sort of the holy grail. Um, you know, you needed try to get as many of them in, and the mm. better your program will be, which is of course not the case because especially well, the in Netherlands we have a lot of English native speakers teaching English where they're not officially trained to be English language teachers. They're often trained to be something else, but because mm. they're from England or from America or any other English-speaking country, they become the English teacher here, which doesn't make you no know, sense because they, 
and I'm sure they're good teachers. I'm not criticizing them in any way, but it feels a bit weird to put it to be put into that box of being a native speaker. And then apparently you can have to do be able to do this, this, and this. And I know native speakers who are not unhappy, not happy with that situation as well, who, who feel like they are more, um, well, they're being measured along the lines of how uh, they're the fact that they're native speakers instead of how good are you as a teacher or as, as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, that there is a bit of less focus on that. It's, it's what I see in the Netherlands as well. There used to be a time when they, we, we, you would really try to get as many of them in. And nowadays it's more like, well, for example, you who lived in England for quite a while, yeah. would you then be considered a native speaker or not? I think that you're quite close to that. And me having a bilingual education myself, and of course, um, I still make mistakes, etc. And But I do think that if I teach in English, my students can learn a lot of English from me. Yeah. Does that the fact that I'm not a real native speaker uh, make such a difference to the students? I, of I'm course, fluent, but you know that, but that, that. Yeah, but native speakers make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. As well, so yeah, it's it, it's the way it is, and and yet it, their focus should be on on communication, on yeah. on are you able to to communicate the message? And of course, there are sounds that are particular to particular languages and they have an influence on how you communicate the message and the intelligibility oh, I said the word correctly it's different. <laughs> um, bigger yeah yeah I won't say it again <laughs> but you know how the message comes across and if people are able to understand you or not and that's yeah. that's the important thing and if you, I can tell you an anecdote um if if you want but yeah. when about this uh, with the native speakers uh, when I started when I came back from England I used to live in Yorkshire in the north of of England in in a town called Rotherham and in Rotherham the accent is very strong and it's quite close like they say bus and son and mum the u's are very pronounced so after living there for for quite a while um I had the accent uh, because I was used to talk to people um, of of that place. So at the beginning, when I when I came back and I started teaching English, well, we had a, a, there was another teacher who was from Yorkshire, but uh, he was a native uh, speaker from Yorkshire, and we used to teach the same the same class like in parallel. So um, one I I used to notice that the students um, <clears throat> when I said <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Hmm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> when I said uh, son or something like, or both, when I pronounced something with oh, they, they used to like talk among each other and, and say, oh, you know, like they didn't think I was pronouncing properly. So I asked him once and said, oh, I, have you noticed this? And like, oh, no, I haven't noticed every, anything. But of course, because this person was a native person, nobody thought they there was there was an issue with pronunciation, but I wasn't a native, so the perception of the students was slightly different. So, which is understandable. Yeah, but, a little but it's unfair as well because, yeah, in, in a way, I was talking. Now I'm I've neutralized a lot, but yeah. uh, at the time I was talking like a native person from that particular town. Yeah. It, you yeah. know what I mean? But, so, and, it's, and, but they didn't recognize it as such. They, of course, because they, yeah. we have this ideal, and again, like with English, we have American, Australian, British. How many variations of of accents and pronunciations yeah. you can find? So, so we need to get out of of that as well, and and that will will give teachers, our clear teachers, confidence or the confidence to believe that they are doing a good job. You know, and and the, the, of course you need a particular level of English, but it's more about the ability you have to express certain ideas rather than the ability to sound like somebody from from where from from London, from yeah. New York, uh, from you know. Yeah, uh, that's not that's a much issue. No. Yeah, but that that's that's something that's been faced by by clear teachers as well, and and I think you have um, some podcast about this as well about the the level of the of the of the teachers clear teachers and what is more important or is it the pedagogical training yeah. it's the yeah. their english yeah. level and and another 
issue with Spanish system is different regions ask for different levels of English from oh. from the teachers. So we, we we started with B1. Now most regions ask for a B2 and they're all moving towards a C1 because um, they realize that there needs to be a certain domain of the language to be able to to, to teach through a language. And, and yeah. I think that's reasonable, although it's not the only the only uh, thing uh, you, you said before, you can have native speakers without the pedagogical training, then they don't necessarily, or they can't be doing a fantastic job because they don't have the training to do so, not because they are native or non-native. It's yeah. about knowing what to do. And you can definitely help your students encourage learning even if there are things that you cannot do yourself. I, I really believe that. And I think you've said this before in, in other podcasts. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something we make our students reflect on during our course as well. We, we call it bilingual education, yet we focus a lot on speaking English only, mm. um, making it basically monolingual education. Um, so that, I w it's not an argument we can have to go in to now, but you could even argue it's not that much of a problem to to use some of the the, the, the first language every now and then as well. Um, and that's the same for a teacher. If you feel like you've explained something three, four, five different times in the second language and the student still doesn't get it, it's your primary job to teach your subject. And mm -hmm. not so much, the, not the language, it's come second. So if I then need to go back to Dutch and make sure that my students understand the maths to go and go back to English after that, I don't see that as a problem. Mm. Um, but Me neither, me neither. No. But there shouldn't be the expectation, which is also something that maybe needs to improve, that you translate everything because then mm. it becomes like a dual. <laughs> you know, you say yeah. a sentence and the sentence in, in the same language, it shouldn't work like that. You should have no. the tools as a, as a teacher to switch when you think is necessary yeah. to use translanguaging as a pedagogical tool, yeah. to use translation as a pedagogical tool. Yeah, and not be. I, I've actually observed a lesson not that long ago where a teacher, after his English explanation, would summarize in Dutch. And mm. I was like, okay, now you're training the students to become lazy because exactly. now they know oh, I don't need to pay attention because I'll hear it in Dutch anyway. And I've actually had that experience myself as a student as well. And I was quite motivated, but even I thought, oh, he's going to say it in Dutch anyway, so I don't have to pay attention. Yeah. And that's not a good, effective way of, of using a, a, a translation as a tool. But if it's, it's if it's hampers, if it blocks the way of effective teaching, then you have to do something about that. Mm. Um, yeah, there's something else that I wanted to briefly talk about because we're running already into the <laughs> 50 minutes. Uh, now, where is it? I thought when you said something earlier, I thought, oh, that's something I, oh, yeah, you talked about the role of English, et cetera, and, and native, native speaker, but you also talked about dual degrees. Um, so so does that mean that if, that in Spain, teachers need to have a teaching English degree in order to be able to teach in bilingual education, or is it enough to just have an English degree? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and no, well, in, in Spain, we don't have a tradition of dual degrees mm -hmm. in reality. It's, it's only recently started. Uh, we don't have a majors and minors. Um, or we haven't had until now. So really, if you're an English teacher, you just, an Eng or if you're an English specialist, English linguist, that's what you are. If you are an engineer, you are an engineer. If you are a historian, you are a historian. So um, I think I believe this is not the case in in other in other places. Certainly not in the UK, where you could do English literature and politics, for example, as a as a degree. Um, and and that's something uh, maybe that would be interesting to explore because to teach in bilingual programs. Um, you at the moment in most regions you need your degree, your teaching qualification, because there's a special teaching qualification, and then you need a C1 level of English if you're going to to teach in English. But you don't necessarily need the CLIL pedagogical background or training to to access bilingual no. programs. Um, so, but it it would be interesting to to include. 
some some aspect of of language teaching or clear pedagogy in in all degrees, but particularly in education degrees, humanities, um, it would be interesting to do that rather than to make it an optional thing yeah. to to because it's not even like some regions are very good at having different uh, training courses and through their own system, their own um, training system, but some are not so good. Or if there is an, uh, if there is not an expectation, if if you have a C two in English and you you are a physical education teacher, and then you can be part of the bilingual program. But but then again, you might end up just translating because yeah. you don't know what to do uh, yeah. with. And that's based. That's the same as in the Netherlands. We also you, you teach a qualification and uh, a, 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 an English language certificate. And clear training is often offered. Well, it's what I do. Um, mm. is often offered at, at, during uh, professional development courses. Um, there's there nowadays. I do notice there is a lot of more attention to clear that topics that used to be clear only in during teacher training, for example, mm. scaffolding or focus on language. Um, those are now become more and more important during teacher training. But at the other hand, it's some, I just had the discussion yesterday with someone. She said it was really interesting. But when I was becoming a, studying to become a teacher, I was more focused on getting the students to listen to me, you know, <laughs> um, and, and to do what I want them to do. And the whole scaffolding and Bloom's taxonomy and feedback, I just didn't have headspace for that. You know, I, I was focused. I needed to get the students to yeah. do what I want. And, and it takes a bit of time. Teaching is not a job you learn, you know, in one or two days. It takes a bit of time. And, and when you get, okay, to that stage, you know, okay, now, now the students are expecting, doing what I expect them to do. They can start layering and, and adding more things. Um, I don't think clear education or clear training is very effective for teachers who are just starting out teaching and figuring out, mm -hmm. you know, how to teach because they already focus so much on just the teaching thing. Um, yeah, which I yeah. think is important because you know that's the basics. Um, you need to start with that. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, we should highlight here we're talking a lot about teachers and and their their responsibilities and their roles, but um, teacher training it's so important. It's so important, but I am hundred percent sure that every teacher like it's so vocational as a yeah. as a job every teacher wants to be the best teacher they can be but there are so many external aspects that influence what happen what what happens in their lessons what happens in 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 their daily practice if you are on survival mode because you have 30 students in a class and you have several issues there's only you in the class there's no support etc then of course the focus is going to be on that. Get your students to listen to you. Get your students to to learn something, but uh, the rest comes after. So yeah. there's also there there's also a fight, so to speak, uh, to improve the the settings. Uh, so so then any teaching we do, because at the end of the day, clearly is is good teaching. It's all about good teaching. Uh, yeah. the, the language is the extra component but it's all about being able to help your students thinking like critical thinking is one of the key competencies you know uh, to develop nowadays in educational systems so it's about how we help students uh, be the best they can be uh, and we are the extra language fantastic you know we're giving them more opportunities but it's not just down to to what teachers want to do uh, it's it's down to which support they are getting and 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 that's so important in, yeah. in every context uh, i mean yeah. there, are con there are better systems than others but we need to look after the teachers because they yeah. are ultimately the ones who who lead every day. This is what happens every day. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I, I would argue would be a bit careful with with um and with um doing too much during teacher training. And like what you mm -hmm. do, yeah, you offer a master's. That's you know for teachers who have already have a teacher's degree, so they are you know a bit further than that already. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they do know I the basics. I think it's great that there's attention to it because you create a certain awareness. But you can't expect, you know, that level of, of perfectionism or whatever you want to call it, or at least, you know, being able to implement it immediately right after teacher training. I wasn't, you know, I, I it took me two or three years before I felt like I was doing a good job. And I might have already done that before, but mm. 
before you feel good enough as a teacher, that takes some time. At least that was my in my case. Yeah. And take little steps. It's like what you do, like you do your like 15 lesson planning, 15 minute lesson planning, etc. So start little by little and then yeah. once you you know more about it and you have more practice, also it helps being able to just come up with ideas or react to what's happening in yeah. your lesson straight away at the beginning is is not so easy. But um Thankfully, you know, a lot of education programs, uh, education degrees nowadays, they have a lot of hours in of teacher placements as well. So they, when they come out of, of this, they, they know or they have lived through different, yeah. Yeah. different school settings. So that's yeah. positive as well. That's a good aspect of the, of the system. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We are at one hour. Okay. Source. Yeah. Um, and we, oh, has that we, happened? I, I think yeah, quite fast. Um, we um, I think we went through all the topics that I wrote down before the, the the this session that I wanted to discuss. Is there anything that you feel well that you should want to mention or something that I maybe forgot to ask before we finish up this particular episode? Um, yeah, maybe it's because we talk about, we have mentioned, or we are, it's it's called bilingual education. So maybe it's just to emphasize as well that the name bilingual doesn't mean that at the end of secondary education, for example, compulsory education, student is going to be able to talk in a foreign language at the same level as their own language. Like maybe the the term is confusing. I don't know what we could call it otherwise, you know. And and obviously bilingual is very um marketable, we would say. Like it's 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 very in terms of it's a selling point uh, to be a bilingual school. But maybe the expectation is higher than the reality, but because the reality we have to be more realistic about it. It's like it's more about getting your brain into gear with other languages, opening up the different possibilities, uh, acquiring some competencies through learning through a different language. Yes. And then you give them the tools, but it doesn't mean your child is going to speak the foreign language exactly at the same level as their own language. Uh, and that maybe we need to do more pedagogy uh, to the external agents uh, to society um, about this, about yeah. the reality. So then then maybe some of the criticism would go away. We, we have to be better at expectation management, mm. uh, if you, that's what you're saying, right? I think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, to, to, and to... it also depends a bit, it depends a lot on what you offer at a school, right? If you offer clear mm. education, one subject a week, um, or if you offer it, like a lot of schools in Netherlands do, for 60, 70, 80% of the lessons, mm. they get quite a lot of a different outcome, and both are called bilingual. So that that's makes it that makes the term a bit difficult to uh, apply to, to. to It's not that it means, but it's the same with Clila, I think. In one setting, in, in exactly the same as in the other. Yeah, exactly. So thank we, you for pointing that out, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, we, we found out that it's there's nothing, nothing is easy, you know, nothing is just... Yes or no? There's, there's no. There are a lot there's of gray, gray areas. It is always a gray area. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you for this. I really enjoyed it. Um. And 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 I learned a lot of things also about Spain that I didn't know yet. Um. But especially when it comes to those those challenges challenges of a teacher who might feel a bit reluctant because um he's not an English language expert or the other hand the English language teacher who feels, well, what's my role now within mm. the clear context? I think we we discussed that quite in a lot of detail. So thank you for your expertise and your willingness to share your ideas. Yeah, thank and, you um, for inviting me. Uh, well, we'll speak to each other, I'm sure, at some point again. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's been a pleasure. Welcome to this new episode of the podcast. In this podcast, I'm um, interviewing Lola Lopez Navas from Spain, um, and we're going to discuss a lot of interesting topics. Obviously, I'm biased. Um, just to give you a heads up, we're going to talk about the relevance of certain criteria for a CLIL teacher, as well as the role of the, um, the native speaker in a CLIL classroom. Um, what do you need in order to be a good CLIL teacher? But also, what's the role of English in CLIL education? Do you need any additional degrees, etc.? Now, obviously, as I said, she's from Spain, so she has a different perspective on English language education than I do. And 
well, I had a good time, um, as always. And according to us, the time flew by, so I'm sure you will have the same experience. Enjoy this episode of the Clear for Teachers and Teams podcast. What do you think? Enjoyed it? I certainly did. And during this episode, we talked a lot about a lot of things that are related to Clear Education for Spain. And actually, next up is an episode with Phil Ball, who obviously also lives in Spain. So we're going to stay in the, stay in the southern European, European area, if you will, um, for the next episode as well. So keep an eye out for that episode, which will be published in about a month. Now... Um, if you listened to this podcast and you enjoyed it, please make sure to leave it a review, give it a star or whatever, well, five stars if you, if I prefer, to let me know what you think of this podcast and also allow other people to see it uh, and share it with people you think might be interested in it. Um, if you have any more ideas on people who might be interviewed for this podcast or maybe you yourself think, well, I think I have something worth sharing and believe me, a lot of teachers think they do not have anything worth sharing but they often do. Please let me know. And um, who knows, you might be one on one of the episodes. Um, when I publish this, it's about the middle of February. In March, I will host another free mini workshop again, um, preparing your Clio lessons according to five steps. And um, you can sign up for free at cleomedia.com slash webinar. And if you haven't downloaded it yet, you might want to have a look at the free, free email course I offer called the Clil Crash Course, uh, which you can also find on my website, clilmedia.com. I hope you enjoyed this, this episode. I look forward to hosting another one and uh, hearing from you what you think of this. Let's stay in touch and enjoy the next episode when it's published. Mm-hmm.